Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block, co-hosted by Jody, Ed, and Steve, joined by Mike today. As always, this will be up as a podcast on iTunes, Rumble, and SoundCloud shortly after the end of the show. Anyone listening to the podcast is always invited to join us live by Zoom or phone to comment, debate, agree, whatever you like. So with that, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Hey, guys. Hi, everyone. There's so much to talk about, as always. Uh, we could talk about Biden going up the steps. There's so much to say. It's so pitiful. It's so sad. We could talk about the new Biden-Harris administration, which is no longer the Biden administration. And apparently he just put Harris in charge of the border. That'll be as successful as when Obama put Biden in charge of the middle class, didn't he? Or the H1N1 vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a whole bunch of stories about free speech, which we may or may not get into. There is the meeting of Biden's representatives with the Chinese in Alaska, which if you're Chinese, apparently went stunningly well. <laughs> so, Wait, I don't know about that. Yeah, well, we, we could talk about that a little bit for those who don't know. That sounds and, important. Of course, there's always the border crisis, circumstance, challenge, whatever the C word is to describe what's going on on the border today. So with that, Jody, I'll let you pick a topic. Oh, there's just so many. Well, I want to know about this Chinese thing that uh, you guys are talking about, because this is something I don't know. It's slipped under my radar. Sounds important. And you got this one? Yeah, I mean, we can we can talk about it a little bit. The, there was a little summit in, in Alaska and uh, I forget what prompted the, the Chinese or if this was unprompted, but the Chinese representatives through the translator started admonishing the United States for human rights abuses. Uh, slavery was a human rights abuse. Our race relations leave nothing to be desired. We have no standing to criticize China on human rights issues because we don't have uh, we, don't, we don't respect human rights in our own country. Um, and the American, the Biden representative, or should I say the Biden-Harris representative, agreed with him, said, yes, we have a lot to, to do better, you know, to learn and a lot, a lot of improvement that we need to do. Uh, and just took the beating without even saying a thing back and without defending themselves or without, you know, saying anything about it's what different to have... You know some race issues as compared to uh, concentration camps and killing people and executing them without trial. I believe process-wise, they also humiliated them in that apparently you get two to four minutes for your opening statement, sort of like EJS on the Liberty Block, and apparently they took about fifteen to eighteen minutes and just went on and on, and the Americans didn't have the gumption or whatever to cut them off. So apparently it was just a real dressing down. I think they probably agreed with it. Well, that, that's part of the that's that's the problem in a nutshell, though. We we don't have the moral authority uh, to to stand up to something like that. I mean, we expect Biden to be weak. We expect Democrats to live. We do, Mike. We do have the we have the moral authority. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's not a lack of moral authority. It's a lack of will. Well, We're not I'm, a moral country. We I'm saying in terms of the mindset of of liberals and progressives in this administration, right? 
But I, I think part of the problem is when you have, you do have things like Black Lives Matter becoming that narrative, not only taking hold here, but we're exporting that image abroad. That, that's where I think we, we run into problems. We, we make ourselves look bad on the world stage, even though what's going on with Black Lives Matter and that whole narrative is BS, but that's what we're exporting. So I think in the mindset of a liberal, somebody in the Biden administration, they, they hear that admonishing. They're like, yeah, you're right. Our country kind of sucks. And, you know, we're, we are guilty of what you're saying. And that, I think that's, that's yeah, that. I don't think they think it kind of sucks. I think they think that our country sucks thoroughly and from top to bottom, inside and out. Right. Um, so you know, I think they agree. That's my point. They, they, don't, they don't feel that they have that moral standing to stand up to that. You and I would. We would. But they don't. Apparently, what's very serious about this, I forget which podcast I was listening to this morning, but Russia and China are apparently talking very seriously about usurping the dollar as the, what do you call it, the reserve currency or whatever you call that in the world. This is not just a dressing down. This is, we're thinking seriously about taking charge. And from what I understand from last week and the little, little I understand about the economy, if the dollar isn't the main currency in the world, we're in big trouble. That's posturing though, because I don't think the world trusts either the Russians or the Chinese to manage currencies. I mean, for whatever, for all the grievances people around the world have against the United States, it's far more trusted and the Federal Reserve is far more trusted than the central banks in China and, and Russia. I don't see that as, I, I don't doubt that they're trying to displace the dollar, but I don't see that as a serious threat. Um, I also think that uh, Russia and China have a lot of issues, uh, border issues in the, in the Siberian region. And I just don't see them being able to collaborate long-term on a project that big and that, um, you know, that wouldn't be a short-term collaboration. It would require, uh, you know, a generational collaboration. And I don't think that they have the ability to do that. Well, that's reassuring actually. So, so but much- The crash of the dollar would be a really destructive thing. And uh, we do, we, we are able to run some of the, the deficits, the budget deficits that we run because the dollar is the world reserve currency and because foreigners are willing to absorb all the dollars that we're printing. Uh, if we weren't, if foreigners weren't willing to absorb them, we would be going through a lot of inflation right now. Okay, this, can I, this might be ever so slightly off the subject or not, but this was a question kind of rolling around in my head lately as I talked to my kids. China owns, I think roughly half of our debt, right? that you were just talking about, Ed, they're the highest um, purchaser. I don't know the numbers, but they foreign are, debt. they're a large creditor of ours. So yeah. what happens if they call us on that debt legitimately? Well, they, they wouldn't call it. They would just refuse to refinance it. The U.S. government is constantly refinancing. It sells, you know, 90 day treasury bills, one year treasuries. You so know, these who short would, so China would, who would refuse I'm trying to. Here's what would happen. I'm telling you what would happen. The debts, those those treasuries mature in short term. You know, like like I said, a 90 day or a one year or a two year note, and they would come due. And the Chinese, instead of just buying the next wave, the Chinese could just say, "No, you know what? We want our money." 
And in order for the US government to be able to keep borrowing, interest rates would have to go up. They would have to find creditors from other places that were willing to lend us money. Either that or the Fed would just start printing money, which China would probably take as a, as a declaration of war because there would be a Wait, way of so, trying to dilute the debt. So that's why my question, like if they say, no, we're not, we want our money. Isn't that kind of like, we want, I mean, isn't that kind of calling them out on, you know, we want our money. We're not going to be, yeah. right. So yeah. what, what would happen? I'm, I'm like, practically speaking, I mean, if it's such a huge amount of money, how, how, what would we do? We would either default or we would print money or we would have to raise interest rates through the roof and borrow it from some other foreigners. Okay. So let me ask you this then. Why is that not a lurking huge danger? Because in that moment, China has such an upper hand. It's almost like war without guns. Well, am I exaggerating? No, but how can I describe it? it you know, if, if you owe the bank a million dollars, you know, the bank owns you. But if you owe the bank a hundred billion dollars, you own the bank. Right. Because oh. if, at, so, at a certain point, if you owe if you owe so much money and don't repay it, the bank winds up going broke, too. Right. I mean, China doesn't want to default because they would lose all the paper wealth that they think that they have right now. OK, so it's sort of a game of chicken. Um, I would think that if there's ever a war, that would be a, a serious problem for us because they would probably call the loan, as you say, or call the debt, you know, during a war or, or, or in a lead up to war. I, I guess what's hard for us non-economists to understand is since we're printing it anyway, why do we need to borrow it? Oh, good question. Well, I mean, there are people that are saying exactly that. Um, there are people that are saying, you know, why, why should we be raising taxes? If they're just gonna print money anyway, it seems like raising taxes is just a way of punishing the unselected few. Um, I, you know, I think that doing irrational things just because you can temporarily get away with it is not a, a wise way to, to go about life. But I mean, obviously the government's not being very wise with money since we just did 1.9 and we're talking about three more trillion. But I mean, 10 years ago, did anybody even use that number, trillion? That was what just a ridiculous number. Know, what comes after trillion? Because I'm pretty sure that will get we'll get there. Oh, <laughs> quadrillion. Quadrillion. I mean, so it is a quadrillion. We might as well start talking about it, quadrillion, because you know it's coming, and it'll be like it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, again, why not? All right. Let's move quickly to Colorado. The new news and the old news. And I guess the news is besides the mass shooting, I don't know if it was done with an assault rifle or regular gun. Now, my understanding of an assault rifle from going into gun stores is that they actually, when the store is closed, they get up in the middle of the night, they walk around, they talk to each other, and they decide which crimes they're going to commit. Is that your understanding? <laughs> they, That's a question for, uh, for the the you know, for Elliot to answer, he would have- They a really are inanimate objects. I've never seen one of them move or jump or do anything on their own, but for whatever reason, they consider them a threat to society. And as we all know, apparently when this was happening, 
And as long as it was a white male going crazy, this was more white terrorism, which is the biggest threat to ever hit this country. And it was an act of racism and Trumpism or whatever else. And apparently very quickly, that did not seem to be the case. So Harris's niece had to delete her tweet and other people had to eat crow, if I'm allowed to say that, even though a crow hey, isn't white. Explain this too, Harris's niece. Harris's niece, yeah, tweeted. She's got at least one niece that's trying to get a lot of, make a lot of noise out there. So she was the one who jumped on this. It's one of these white racist terrorist things. Oh. And of course, now the press is all covering because it may be that it's a Muslim shooter who may have done it for Muslim reasons. Um, who knows if that's true or not, because nobody cares now that that's a possibility. So well, now it's see the gun, control, the gun yeah. control calls. So well, I think the, the obvious point to be made is that Colorado has a lot of these gun restrictions that the left constantly calls for, whether it's background checks or you know, magazine limits and all this stuff. And it still happened. And that's because bad guys don't obey the law. <laughs> Apparently Boulder has all of the rules that they want. Well, and but you know what? It's, it's the surrounding states that don't have tight gun. I live in Illinois. We have very tight gun laws, obviously. And so our high crime rate, gun crime rate, is always blamed on, you know, Wisconsin and Indiana, who also, I haven't looked in a while, but last I looked, actually had lower gun crime rates, even though they had fewer gun laws. So the logic is that it's the fault of other states that have fewer gun laws and lower gun crime rates. It's their fault. Right. Now, well, I know that somebody... Just give me one second. Somebody was going to propose a law making it illegal to walk into stores and shoot people. I wish they'd get to that already. Do you know how many times I've said that to people? Wait a minute. It's not. It's illegal to go in and shoot people. How could they do that? It's illegal. It's. I, I just don't get you it. You make it illegal and it stops. It's just, it's just. Just. I don't understand how somebody went in and shot a bunch of people. It's illegal. Jody, the argument that. The problem is that other states don't have these gun restrictions is identical to the argument that socialists have made that yes. as long as there are capitalist countries around, socialism can't succeed. And it, it requires the entire world to commit suicide altogether. But um, my take on this story is that it can't or it shouldn't be looked at in isolation from all the free speech stories that you know we talked about at the, at the top of the show and we may or may not get to. Uh, I see it as a pen, uh, as a pincer movement, and I think they're going after both the right to the, the the right to speak, the First Amendment, and the Second Amendment at the same time. And there's no more sure way to get to dictatorship than to strip people of First Amendment freedoms and to strip them of their right to self defense. And the writing is on the wall. It is very clear. And it's being, you know, this gun control movement is being pursued by people that insist on hiding behind a, a barbed wire fence in D.C., protected by armed militia and armed, you know, armed National Guard and soldiers if they need them. And it, it's crystal clear to me that uh, you have to look at these together. And and the integrating thought is they're trying to establish a dictatorship. That's what's going on right now. And. We can't just be frogs sitting in the warm water. We've got to understand that the water is being boiled. And if we don't do something now, we're going to be cooked. 
So just to mention some of the stories that you're alluding to, um, one of them's up here in New York City where our esteemed mayor is throwing up a trial balloon about having police officers speak to people who said insulting words and that if they knock on people's doors and issue warnings about it, maybe people will become a little bit more polite and more civilized. That's bone chilling. Um, then we got, mm. let's see, the NAACP is ripping the NFL for not breaking up with Fox. This is like using power that, that is so beyond to stop speech because Fox owns Fox News and because Fox News is only 90% liberal right now. So therefore they should get rid of all, you know, they can't deal with the NFL or the NAACP is gonna take down the NFL. It's absolutely unbelievable. We've got, um, let's see, if you call this a free speech issue, which I do, this was in Canada, but a man who's being jailed for calling his transgender child by the wrong gender. I mean, this just, we, yeah, we don't you know, talk about the LGBT issues because frankly, free speech wise, I'm afraid to talk about these issues. The people going to jail, losing custody over using the wrong word. So it's not only you can say things, we're gonna force you to say things, which getting back to, I believe, Colorado, they're going after that poor baker again. Yeah. Wait, is that is the N-word insulting? The N-word? Yeah, you're talking about the Bellasio and insulting words. Oh, you? the N-word. Well, that's the article that we, you know, just sure went around with Dershowitz. He, he's not even sure if you're allowed to say the N-word, not saying the N-word while discussing, are you allowed to say the N-word? Saying the phrase. The right, even saying the phrase is so bad, even if you're discussing how horrible it is to use the phrase. But this poor baker is now being sued because he won't make a, uh, what do they call it? Not transgendering party, whatever oh, they call it. a gender transition cake. Right, a gender transition cake. I, I, I'm going to regret this, but you do that with food coloring or something? Yeah, it blue on the outside, pink on the inside. That's really how it works? I mean, so again, we, we're not allowed to say things and we're being could be forced worse, to say things. Say. What's that? I, I have, it's better than other imagery that I have. Right, 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 okay. right. And you know what? And then you hear, I'm not a big Teen Vogue uh, fan, but they're firing an editor because of things she said years ago when she was just a kid. Now, I believe we still live in a country where if you commit like a major crime at 12 and 18, it's forgiven and expunged from your record. But if you tweeted something, before you're 18, that can haunt you forever and ever, which is unbelievably, unbelievably scary. We got this University of Cincinnati refuses to rehire a professor because he called the virus Chinese. So yeah, this onslaught is nonstop, this, this free speech onslaught. Oh, I, like I said before, we're all afraid, I'm sure, to really voice our opinions. Are, are we noticing a, a common theme and off the top of my head, New York and California come to mind, possibly Illinois, but where actual criminal activity is ignored and literally non-criminal activity like words is being addressed and persecuted and prosecuted. Well, this that's exactly what they're writing about. Scary stuff. Seriously scary stuff. What they're writing about the Blasio is in a city where the cops aren't allowed to do anything against real crime. But he's even talking about coming after speech. This really is unbelievably serious. Our, what's happening in the circle being closed around what we're allowed to discuss. All right. So do you think that 
do do you do you really think that most people are kind of thinking this is okay or do you think that it's going to it's going to backfire because most people aren't aware of the extremeness and it's going it's going to wake people up like the the the, the you know the frog in boiling water if they just boil the water frogs will wake up when it's a slow boil, we're in bigger trouble. So I almost feel like the more extreme and radical they get, the more likely people will wake up in large numbers. Well, it's going both ways. So Naomi Wolf was a liberal, right? Yeah. Glenn Greenwald is a far left liberal and he's very upset about this stuff. Bill Maher, who I can't stand, but Bill Maher has been ripping on this. They're starting to wake up. However, there's still seemingly a tremendous amount of people, including those who control the media and the universities who keep closing in tighter and tighter. That's how I see it. Again, Top of I that. think ultimately people will wake, the more extreme they get, maybe the more people will wake up. Well, and on top of that, you've got two other things. You've got HR1, the bill to federalize elections, pass the house, we're still waiting I still expect Mansion and/or Cinema is going to cave, or I guess they both would have to cave or be bought. I think Quietly they're going to bought. Up. Right, and they're going to give up on the filibuster. And I think they're going to try and pass that, and that if that becomes law and it gets enforced, and no court enjoins it, they're going to be able to steal any election that they want. Um, and relatedly, just to, in my view, to show that they really are serious about stealing elections. They have delayed uh, the census distribu- distribution and redistricting is, is going to be delayed. I know here in, in North Carolina, it's going to affect, it's already affecting uh, filing deadlines for the primary in the spring of 2022. Uh, they're being pushed back because census results are being held back by the Biden administration. What they're doing to massage those numbers, I don't know, but. I mean, to me, that's the only reason why they're delaying things. It's to to massage the numbers and try and jiggle them in a way that that benefits the Democrats more. Um, And to me, it looks like they're trying to manipulate elections so that even if people are awakened, it's not going to matter as much. Is there no is there no recourse for the American people if what you just say happens and the majority in a democracy wake up, is there no legal no legal recourse for those uh, pieces of legislation that our government would have put, put through? I mean, the recourse- It really can only be changed America, the, by- The recourse is, go ahead. I'm just asking like, really, they're, they're locked in. There is no way to change it other than changing um, politicians, which, would be impossible. Really, there's no legal challenge. The, the, the way that at that point you're at the point of revolution. At that point. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be an optimist for a second and say and believe and hope that if that time and moment comes, the majority will have woken, truly woken up and it would be a strong majority in that revolution fighting against 
oppression and tyranny as it was in the first civil war. And as it was in the first civil war, the side pushing against tyranny and oppression will once again win. That's just my hope I'm putting out there. It, it's hard to be optimistic after what we've seen during this pandemic over the past year, you know, where it is. But you do and the population is okay with lockdowns and restrictions. And, and again, it's, it's, people it's are turning. People are starting to turn. You know, I just wanted to bring one up other thing because we're talking about people changing. I, uh, with all media, I have a trust, but, but verify. And the story about the Canadian guy whose daughter uh, what I can gather is he, he set up his daughter for therapy, a counselor at school, and basically they righted her into get, you know, become a boy or something. I was trying to find out, I wanted to learn more, and there is a paucity of known non right wing. Uh, media reporting on it, which I guess is not surprising, but I still, for me, I'm like, well, I need more, I need more verification than just re being reported by the right-wing media. Again, just because trust, but verify. I stumbled across a video uh, of him, the dad, talking to someone, I don't know who she was, and I didn't have time to watch all of it. I'm going to. I only got the beginning, but basically the dad and the interviewer, he was like a Bernie Sanders supporter. And he called him Barry, but he's Canadian. So, but he and the other woman interviewing, she's, she used to be on the left. And then they were both kind of talking about how dangerous the Democrats and the left have become. And so people are waking up and I hope it's in large number. And the fact that this dad, you know, I don't know, I want to learn more, as I said, but the more I see people waking up, I think, and if people like Bill Maher start chirping, they have an audience. Don't know if it's enough. Um, I think the solution is going to be states, as always, just like with the uh, with Corona. You know, Florida is staying freer, and, and certain other states are staying freer. I, I've said for a long time, as a country, I don't see it ever going the other way. But I think there could be states, um, hopefully states like North Carolina, Buck. Some states are just totally gone. And I don't see them coming back. So, yeah. Um, anybody want to talk about the border? Apparently the border includes the entire country because they're flying these people all over the place. It's just another example of how they're trying they, the Democrat Party is at war with the American people. It is trying to destroy the United States of America. They are bringing people in uh, without regard to anything, including COVID. Uh, the secretary, uh, Biden secretary, admitted as much. He said that they're not testing people for COVID, even though Americans are being tested for COVID. They're floating ideas for uh uh, a health passport or a vaccine passport. Um, they are at war with the American people. Um, and, and the Republican Party needs to be willing to point that out and needs to be a lot more strident in its opposition. And, you know, even if it means some short-term losses, I mean, if they get silenced in the legislature or if, 
you know, they're threatening to, to expel Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, you know, they could expel all the Republicans. They should, they should dare them to, the, the, the Republicans need to dare the Democrats to do what you're gonna do and to stop pretending like it's some uh, reasonable policy that's just a difference of opinion, which is what the Republicans are always doing. Um, you know, we haven't really gotten to the Christy Nome story, but, you know, Christy Nome is doing the same thing, I think, in, uh, in South Dakota. You know, I think that she should have signed that law and, and been proud of, of, of what the legislature put forth. And she should have told the NCAA to, to bring it on. And if they want to, if they want to bring a lawsuit, let's go. And, and, and even more, I mean, not even, not even say let's go, but the court is, the court is not properly a legislature. The legislature gets to decide what goes on in a state, the legislature in conjunction with the governor, not the courts and certainly not the federal courts. And she should, the same way that she was willing to be front and center on this COVID fascism and the, and the lockdowns, she should have been front and center on, on the transgender issue and uh, on uh, specifically boys be, not being allowed to compete in girls sports, period. And she, okay. that, should have been, that should be a hill she's willing to die on. And instead she, she did die on it. That's the ironic thing. I think her national ambitions are shot right now. Yeah, she's probably in very big trouble. I'm just thinking to myself, listening to you, maybe to talk like Elliot, I should write an article about it if I can formulate this thought. The NCAA is a sports organization, if I remember correctly. How about if sports were played the way she just played this? Like we're in the huddle and I call a play and like, now nah, I'm not going to throw that pass because they're going to try and steal it. We're not going to run because they may tackle us. And it's like, what is this? This is not the way the game is played. The game is played. You play as hard as you can from your side and you force the other side to play as hard back. Exactly right. It's, it's just so ironic, this, this surrender before. I know there are people defending what she's doing, saying it's a lot more complicated. It does seem like politically she's done. She's ticked off Tucker. She's ticked off a few other people. And from the pundits I read, they're all basically saying the conservative electorate, for what it's worth, is in no mood to forgive or to go very deep. She blew it and it's over. Why she did that? Who the heck knows? But, you know, on the same lines, the Republicans apparently just caved on earmarks. So the Republicans seem to pretty much always be willing, ready and able to cave on almost anything to be as Democrat as Democrats are. And earmarks are just another know? word for bribery, I believe. I'm opposed to the earmarks thing, but it's so non-philosophical. I mean, it's and it's so minor. When we're, when we're spending trillions and trillions of dollars and you're talking about, you know, a couple billion dollars for earmarks, I mean, these are rounding errors. I mean, we, we, we're not going to win this war by fighting on the edges. We've got to go and, and take the bull by the horns and go after the, the you know, the two trillion dollars for, for COVID funding or, or whatever, the, you know, whatever, whether it's 10 percent or 90 percent is going to COVID, doesn't matter. Whatever that 1.9 trillion was, that's a far bigger issue than, than earmarks are. I mean, I, I, my issue with earmarks isn't the amount of money. My issue is that when you want to pass a $3 trillion infrastructure bill or COVID bill, or whatever you're calling it, earmarks make that a lot easier because it's just a simple way to bribe people. Isn't, isn't that the way it works? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. That's a decent point. I mean, you, you know, 
Everybody remember the good old Oslo Accords? Sure. Okay, so the Oslo Accords, where Israel basically resurrected the PLO and gave them status in the world, et cetera, et cetera, was basically agreed to because a minister or two in the Israeli parliament was bribed with a Volvo, and you could look it up. And that's how they got one or two extra votes, which is what they needed. And all of the subsequent history in the Middle East is because of a straight up bribe. So earmarks make it really easy. You know, we will throw another 10 billion into a bill so you can get a library named after you. And it's just, it's just so much easier to get people to, to do what you want them to do. So that, that's my problem with earmarks. And then the principle, it was supposedly a principle that Republicans had stood for at one point, but once again, they give in. I think, and that's the problem. It's like you say, the Republicans are not an opposition party in any way. So yeah, you know, Cruz will get up and say something and one or two other people will, you know, Rand Paul will say something, but as a party, are they any meaningful opposition to anything? Certainly not sufficiently. Now, I guess it's interesting because Texas was saying they're going to send their guard to the border and they're going to stop the border, but it doesn't seem to be that that's what's happening. And can Texas say, you know what, you may want to drive these people in buses out of state, but we're not going to let you. And what would happen if they tried that? It would depend upon the, how they tried to prevent it. I mean, if they put the National Guard, the Texas National Guard all along the, the state line, that would for you know that would be sort of a Fort Sumter type moment, right? I mean, you'd surround you know you'd basically dare the Biden administration to either use force or I guess they would probably file a lawsuit first, but um, I guess those would be the two possibilities. I mean, it really is amazing. We're going through the devastation of the smartest virus in history. It's a virus that can measure six feet and three feet. It's a virus that knows if you're going to your table or walking to the bathroom. And now it's a virus that knows if you have papers. So the virus knows not to mess with immigrants who don't have papers, but it can mess with immigrants who do have papers. It's truly a, a wonder of nature. It knows and not to mess with politicians and right. bureaucrats too. But you got to wonder at what point do Texans, like Jody saying, you know, people fighting back or, or Ed saying the frog in the water. These are people with COVID or untested for COVID walking right through our state. And where is the outcry? Well, I did see Governor Abbott make, you know, complain about it, but what is he doing about it? Right, well, this will complain. I think it goes back to something we were talking about not long ago, where we're not a mob mentality type. That's not how we function. And, you know, one or a few or a handful of people may speak up about something. And it's so easy for the left to just go bam, 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 and knock those five, eight voices down. But why while the rest of us. Sorry, Jody, why, why do we need to be a mob in any way? I mean, Governor Abbott, you know, is, is a Republican. He's got a Republican legislature and he doesn't need the legislature to order the, the National Guard around. He could do, he could just do it. Why not? Well, then unifying voices. I mean, I, I see the left in mob fashion as they mob like ascend and destroy, which is what I would call a mob. I guess I would describe as a mob, ascend and destroy. So I don't, I'm not suggesting we should be a mob, but 
we are individual thinkers. That's kind of how we function, but we need to be a unified, more unified voice actively against things than we tend to be, I think. And so these egregious things that happen, it just seems like somehow we have to find, maybe it's a lack of leadership to lead unified voices, or is it that too many people are still afraid to stand up with the group and speak out? I'm not sure, but I don't think we start winning until we start having a loud, a very loud, unwavering, unified, large volume of people voice. Okay, so you're talking about you know, a million people calling up Abbott who live in Texas and complaining. What has Cruz done about the border crisis? Nothing. Okay, that was a pretty simple answer. And, and then where are the Texans? Like, why are they not up in arms screaming? What would happen if Texans, just normal people went down to the border and said no? But I think we've destroyed the whole American- They would spirit. be called uh, domestic terrorists. I Very think, quickly. Right. I just think we, we've lost the American spirit. We've been beaten down so badly. Um, what was this story I was reading today? Not today, a couple of days ago about federal officers coming on to, oh, I know what it was. It was the union issue where the, apparently the, there's a law that union people are allowed to go on to private farms for up to three hours a day to try to unionize people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No, so I hadn't heard that story. I'm sorry? I had not heard that story. This is apparently like in California, let's say I own, I don't know, 100,000 acres. It was a guy with a strawberry field, if I remember correctly. And he has people who come in, you know, a couple months a year and they have to do the strawberry harvest, I think within six weeks or something. And he's very upset because the government says that union people have a right to go onto your farm to organize. And again, Article is there not a legal about, battle against that? What's that? Is there not a legal challenge against that? I This is the thing I know, Ed, you keep saying it, but I, I, it's not registering because I always kind of thought the checks and balances part meant that legislators didn't have free will nilly nilly to just be oppressive, that the courts were a check, not you know, just on whether we as individuals are obeying the laws, but whether our government is obeying the laws. Like how well, does our government get away with oppressive things? Isn't there well, the check California, and balance? California is, is, is a one-party dictatorship. Uh, the Democrats run everything. Uh, they, they've brought in illegals from, from South Central America to guarantee their vote margins. Um, but your, your initial point is actually the that's the, the brilliant part, that's, and that's the crucial part. Where are all these libertarian law firms? The Pacific Legal Foundation is located in California. The Institute for Justice is one of the, it's probably the leading libertarian uh, public interest law firms. They are totally silent in the face of this story that I hadn't heard of, but more generally, all of the COVID stuff from the last year where are they? Where are the lawsuits? Where, where is the claim for, for just compensation? Where is the claim for, for uh, 14th Amendment due process liberty when people are forced to wear masks all the time? Where are these lawsuits? The left sues immediately. I mean, Biden, Biden killed the, the Keystone 
pipeline the day that he came into office. Where is that Fifth Amendment takings lawsuit? Why, why aren't lawsuits being filed? That doesn't require uh, you know, large voices. It doesn't require millions of people. It requires a, a few people to put their heads together and say, let's go, let's do it. And it's, but it's not happening. And, and you know, I just, the libertarian movement, I, I have a lot of problems with it. And I think that, you know, they're loud, they're loud and on the march when it comes to things like legalizing Fun. marijuana and legalizing pedophilia and, and gay marriage. But they have nothing to say about some of these gigantic issues that are destroying this country right now. And, and I want to know why. I mean, I, I don't know where they are, but, uh, I, you know, I think their silence is really deafening. Well, why aren't conservative attorneys, um, why aren't, why isn't there litigation from, you know, not necessarily the libertarian attorneys, but. There should this... be, but it's just that the, these public interest law firms tend to be libertarian. I'm not really aware of any that are more on a conservative bent, although um, actually, as I think about it, like things like the Beckett Fund and, you know, the, the conservative groups tend to be for religious liberty and they've been bringing lawsuits. Um, not, maybe not as many, but they're not as big either. The, the libertarian ones are far bigger and they get a lot more money. Okay, so there's kind of a gap in that market of freedom attorneys willing to take on these um, oppressive government legislation. We need more attorneys is what fight these. Oh, I'm sure right, Ed, hear you say that. It's not a career, it's not a career enhancer to be fighting against govern, government power when you want to advance and you want to, you know, make it into the big leagues. That I don't think that's where most lawyers want to go. But I, I, I just to, sent you I would the, love to do that, Steve. I would love if Jody, if you want to finance me, I'd love to start an organization like that. All right. All right, so let's get my coasters going and then we'll finance that. Great. Well, first of all, we don't exactly own the courts. And even with McConnell and Trump's millions and millions of judges, I don't think we win that much in the courts. And I think people well, are very disillusioned about that as well. Th this is part of the problem with going to the courts with things. And we've touched on this issue with the elections and things like that. but. The courts are not no friends of liberty, but on the other hand, I think there are times when we have no choice. It, and it is the role of the court to arbitrate disputes such as the one that Jody brought up. So, you know, I mean, you, you can't we just need all of the above sit back and do nothing. Yeah. We need no, all of the above approach. It's, it, it's, it's not black and white. It, it's, it's not one hard and fast rule. There are times you have to go to the courts. There's other times I think it's a real danger. Okay, there's only a few possibilities in the world the way I see it from my perch. So you have the 1984 possibility, which is we lose. You have the Brave New World possibility, which is we're having a good time, we don't really give a crap. You have the Atlas Shrugged, which is we walk away until they destroy themselves. But I don't see a whole bunch of ways for people to win. So, you know, now what's going on with the guns? I mean, I just sent you that story that popped up, which we don't have a lot of clarification about a court ruling against right to carry. But if Biden succeeds, even if he, even if he just does an executive order now against so-called assault weapons, 
So he does an executive order. Now we have all these people swearing, take it from my cold dead hands and I'd rather die. And I lost them in a boat accident, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't find a very high percentage of people who really do that when push comes to shove. When they come to your door with a bear cat and a tank and they want your guns, you're gonna give them your guns. And what do you do? You go to court and you may or may not get a quick injunction and that may or may not get overruled. And at some point, either you revolt, I guess, or you, you're subdued. And I, I don't see how we don't get subdued. I don't know how this doesn't end in 1984. 1984 does not end on a very high note, if I remember correctly. Matter of fact, I think they figured out way back then before Harvard that two plus two equals five. <laughs> you're and wrong, Steve. It equals seven. Seven, did it go up? Um, no, well, I don't know, but maybe in an hour I'll say it's nine and I'm right either you way. Say it's nine inflation. Yes, inflation. I, I really don't see how, again, other than a state or two, a, a big win against, like, like Ed says, they're at war on so many fronts. They're at war on the First Amendment, they're at war on the Second Amendment. They're relentless in their attacks. They're kind of like computer viruses. They never stop coming. Whatever gets through, gets through. And right now, I mean, if we could stall Biden to the end of this year, I think they'd slow down because of the election year, maybe a little bit. But right now, I don't know what there is to stop them from doing anything. If HR one, same thing, if that gets through. Well, think of it like this, Steve. I mean, I'm listening to you. And, and while I share some of your pessimism, they are at war with us and they are unrelenting and, and you know, unyielding in their war against us. And we're not even fighting back yet. They haven't just overrun us. I mean, we can, it's still not over and things can change in a hurry, especially if our side decides to fight. Now, I don't know if, and when our side will ever decide to fight. And that's something that you're raising, but I think that our, our side can fight and we can, you know, I think we can still win. I, I, I really do. Going think back to your argument, Ed, there's no leadership. There's nobody out there carrying the torch. You know, a week ago, we all were rooting for Christy Nome to be the next president. She oh. may have wimped out. Who, who is leading this fight? Matt I Gates, still like Ron DeSantis. Matt, Matt Gates, Josh Hawley, uh, uh, Bopert. Nobody cares who they are. What's that? Nobody cares who they are. The only one who has any bit of prominence is DeSantis, you know, as the governor of Florida. And he's, I think, wisely sticking to Florida at the moment. I don't think he's trying to lead on a national scale. And, and I have to ask you, you're saying we can win. Define win. What does what, what winning look like? I think we can undo what the, what the left is doing, but it's going to require us to actually fight. Right now, we're not fighting. There's no fight on our side. There's complaining, there's whining, there's perceiving the problem, there's identifying the problem, but we're not taking any action. At most, all we're doing is say, is pointing a finger and saying, oh my God, look what they're doing. Well, I mean, in some states, there are some people fighting back, but again, we, we don't organize as well as the left. Most of us work for a living. We're just not, we, like Jody says, we're not built that way to fight the way they fight. And again, I just I don't see a, a, a total victory. Of, maybe I'm misunderstanding. I don't want to misstate what you're saying, but putting the genie back in the bottle and having a constitutional republic again, the way we're supposed to, 
you know, I, 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 right. I in all of history, have we ever rolled back anything other than prohibition? <laughs> well, some maybe it, it's going to take a second American revolution. Well, we got rid of um, slavery, but I mean, look what it took, but that yeah. was. I don't know. I just see. I just see a very complacent populace. Well, because we're we're smart. They're doing you know 1984 and Brave New World and Atlas Shrugged all at the same time. So you got the science ministry and you got the Soma. You you got everything working against us. So those books were great because it was only one method of attack in each of the books, so to speak. But they're doing everything to us nowadays. While they're doing this, most of the people today are going around typing with their thumbs. And playing Candy Crush. You're making my point that I was just about to make, and that's that when I said we're complacent. We have all these trappings of life that make us very comfortable. It's not like the founders in 1770 or something like that. Where you know what I mean? Uh, I disagree, Mike. You should look back at the. How many of us are really willing to to give up everything that we have? Mike, I think you need to look at the history. The, The American founders were the, the richest colony in the British Empire. They're among the r- wealthiest people in the world. John Hancock was one, was the wealthiest person in the, in the colonies. He was a very wealthy man. Uh, they were all well-to-do, and they they didn't just go and fight. You know, If you look at the end of the Declaration, it says that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Their fortunes were real. They had lots of money. They were not poor people. Um, so... I, I just don't think that that's historically accurate. Now, did they have the same- Your point is well taken, but I'm talking about every everyday people like you and me. People that we know that aren't as into politics that are sitting around and they're, and they're watching, you know, whatever stupid TV show is on that week and playing with their phones and their computers and, and they're I'm just saying, racing yeah. and they're, they're enjoying life that way. Yeah, they value their freedoms, but until that pot is boiling, they're not going to give a crap. And it's going I'm to be- just saying, Mike, right, the Mike. American colonies were very wealthy. They weren't a lot of poor people. It wasn't about a poor, it wasn't like the French Revolution where you had a revolt of the peasants. It wasn't a revolt of the peasants. They were, it was a wealthy place to live. They also didn't have 30, 40, 50 years of destroying, quote, toxic masculinity. Back then, masculinity, the way we used to look on it, was a hero's way of being. Today, courage is looked down on. Masculinity is looked down on. Testosterone yes. is looked down on. And, that, and that's all part of the fight. The left has won many against. victories, Steve. I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying that our side hasn't really started to fight yet. And when, and if, if and when we do, we can, we can still win, I think. Oh, I think if we fought, we could win. But I just, it's very hard to see enough people getting into one area working together what fascinates me about conservatives and libertarians is getting them to work together on any project is almost impossible. And yet it seems like the left, they can speak with one voice almost instantly. And yeah. maybe they fake it better than we do. Maybe they do it better than we do. I couldn't say for sure. But I know I you try to try have a fundamental difference. The conservatives value the, the right to life and libertarians value the right to liberty. And while they're complementary in some, in many respects, they're not identical. And it's, it's a, it's a crack in the foundation of the alliance between them. Okay. But I, I have, a, okay. We want to help Texas. Do me a favor. And you let me know when Ted Cruz gets on the phone with you. 
Okay. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you know. We can try and do a three-way call. Actually, let me know when you get within 100 foot of any senator not to kiss his foot. So when you call up a state and you want to help somebody and you find anybody willing to work along with you, find an organization willing to work along with you, call up and say you want to volunteer, you can't even get the time of day. And this is happening with organizations across the country. I mean, not to put down Daniel Horowitz, but he's yakking about it for months and months and months, but nobody's doing a thing. It's all talk. Nobody ever wants to work together. So, and everybody goes off and does their own thing. So, so we're wonderful people, but we don't work well together. So maybe though it is a little bit of the, we're rugged individualists. Like I believe that's very much what it is. And then they're like, they're sheep. Group think like, don't question, just repeat. Don't think beyond, just repeat. I think constitutionally, to use a funny word, they work together as a mass and we don't. Right. And we don't want to give up our individuality, individualism to fight together. We want to continue debate and individual thinking and personal response, but we want to keep those things. It, it yeah. just I don't think, I, don't think I agree with the, these, this analysis. I, it's not that we're, we're afraid to, to band together. We banded together for the Tea Party. We band, we band together even in just within the Republican Party. We banded together to support Trump. There are lots of examples of us banding together. I, I think it's, I think what's really going on is, is our side is conflicted about some of the premises. I mean, you know, the left is, is, you know, trying to cloak COVID restrictions under the rule of law. And, and, and that disarms people on our side because our side, we want to, we want to respect the rule of law. We want to respect the police. And yet, but yet if you look at what the police are doing and enforcing these restrictions, Maybe it's time to say, you know what? Maybe we should defund the police. If if they're going to go and and not say anything with all these BLM riots, and they're going to drag away, you know, hardworking Americans who just want to open their businesses, maybe we don't need a police force. I mean, not that I'm, you know, opposed to the police in any way, but well, I shouldn't say it anyway. I, I'm opposed to the way they're they've they've conducted themselves in the last year and a half. I mean, you talk about someone who needs to choose whose side they're on. They are they're aiming their their guns at the people who support them and they're cowering in fear at the people who are opposed to them. When are they going to wake up? Good point, Sad. Um, I think that's a function of uh, police or paramilitary and they're used to following orders no matter what. Um, I don't even find that many cops who struggle inside with what to do once they're trained to follow orders they just see it that way it's very scary okay but i mean look at look what the defense secretary of defense is doing trying to root out trump supporters in the military why isn't anybody talking about it i mean tucker carlson talks about it you know some other talk show people talk about it why i mean i understand the military doesn't want to be political and i don't want them to be political but they are being politicized right now why doesn't somebody in the military say we're a non-political organization stop who in the military can say that? They're, they're not allowed to talk out of out of turn, as far as I understand they're it. They're not allowed. They're not allowed. They're not, I mean, the, the rules, you know, the Secretary of Defense is not allowed to go and screen people for whether they're Trump supporters, but he's doing it. That's really the issue. I, I think this military issue is one of the biggest issues there is today, and I'm glad you're bringing it up. I don't see anybody within the chain of command, unless it's extremely high general, by the way, I seem to remember a general who was very, very high up in the ranks, 
who bucked the system. And I think he spent three and a half years fighting back to not end up in jail and he went bankrupt. I think his name was Michael Flynn. If you buck the establishment, they will find a way to come after you. And I'm sure people saw what happened to Michael Flynn. You don't buck the establishment. And I think it is unbelievable who in the Congress has spoken up against this defense secretary going through the military ranks. 60 days of a stand down to make sure that none of you were conservatives or something. It really is unbelievable. Well, but earlier in this in this broadcast, Steve, you complained about the, the surrender first caucus within the Republican Party. But now you're you're almost accepting it and saying that, well, of course, we're going to be surrendering first. Everybody's going to be rightfully scared. No, within the military, I can't imagine anybody willing to give up their career. I mean, yeah, there should be some high ranking generals who are saying, no way we're going to do this. And I think that's an interesting question. Have you heard of anybody resigning from the military since, what's the guy's name, the secretary? Um, Just, not just, Austin. Austin. I mean, has one person resigned in protest of this? I haven't heard of it. Why doesn't anybody from the the border patrol resign while they're not, they're not being backed by our own government? You know, I mean, it makes you you wonder. Why isn't one, why don't they all resign? If, if, If Biden doesn't want a border police, how about they all just get together? Their union, they should tell their union leaders, we're just all going to quit. Let, let's, let's make it easy for them. Yeah, wave, wave the flag. Go ahead. Can I just point out some irony about what's kind of happening with defund the police and keep the schools closed? Both huge government organizations. I mean, what does that really say? These two government-controlled organizations, they want closed. Well, what's coming from different places also, I don't know. I mean, the teachers are just getting away with not having taught for a year and refusing to, quote, follow the science, et cetera, et cetera. I think you're making an interesting point also, Ed, about the Border Patrol. And somebody needs to get up and say to them, that would be fantastic. What are we doing here anyway? And basically, they're changing diapers and feeding children. I mean, you're right. But I again, I'm going to go back to what I said before masculinity and courage has been downplayed for decades and it's being beaten out of us. And that, I think that's very much part of it. You know what? They don't even have to quit. They could just organize a strike. Why not just organize a strike and, and, and say, okay, well, teachers don't want to go back to work. Well, we don't want to go back to work. It's not safe for us to work. This, this administration is not protecting us. We are at the mercy of these Mexican gangs. Whatever I mean, they 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 know better than I do what they should say, but they need to they need to band together and speak up, and and they can. I know that part of, we got on this line of discussion because you were talking about how our side doesn't band together, but they have a union. There's no reason why their union can't speak up and and organize them their their members. I mean, they're being destroyed right now. Their jobs are being made into nothing. You know, do these guys really, did they go into law enforcement to change diapers? I doubt it. I don't know if they could say it any better than you just said it, Ed, but that's the kind of thing you need to put out there. I, <laughs> we all can put it out there, but yeah. Well, no, I'm going to start wrapping up the show, but I think the conclusion of the show is either Ed or Ed Maslish or EJS calls for the Border Patrol to organize and go on strike. And I think it's fantastic. And by the way, for all I read, I haven't yet heard somebody say that. And I think, it, and I'm not sure why, when I think about it, why isn't somebody calling for them to act together 
it, can precedent. you imagine what an impact that would have if all the border patrol in Texas says we're walking off the job or even a sick out? Yeah. Well, this is why we're the leaders in the business. I actually have not heard anybody else make this call. And because it's it's a it's a it's not the whole America should go on strike. It's a specific group, and I think they could do it. And I think it's interesting. Anybody you know anybody who works for Border Patrol? I wish I did. I'm in New Jersey now. Well, they, you know, if you if you watch TV enough, you see some of them get interviewed on some of the shows and stuff. And you kind of wonder how do you get this idea to them? But you're right. And I think there was a time in America where it would have been almost automatic. Like, what are you telling me not to do my job? And why aren't they rebelling changing diapers? That's not an exaggeration. Don't they have Actually a changing diapers? It must have a Twitter account. I'm going to assume. Tweet at them. And by the way, how masculine is that to tweet at somebody? <laughs> I mean, we're laughing. All right. Closing comments. Anybody? Well, I guess I'll, I'll make a couple of statements. I think, I think that people, people talk about fascism, people talk about socialism. And I think fascism necessarily involves coordination and collusion between the private sector and, and the government. If, if you don't have collusion, if you just have the government controlling everything directly, that's no longer fascism. That becomes socialism and communism. Um, but that's not what we're seeing. And the reluctance of so many people on our side to be willing to, to oppose private entities that are, that are carrying out these uh, suppressions of, of free speech and free thought and free thinking uh, you know, more generally discussed earlier as, as First Amendment issues, um, it's really, really disturbing. Um, you know, it's a theme we've talked about on this show, and, and I just think it's worth hammering away again. Uh, this notion that we're dealing with private entities uh, while ignoring the fact that these private entities are carrying out the mission of fascism in a way that necessarily... It, that's the way fascism gets carried out. Fascism is where private ownership is retained nominally, but government still controls everything. And that's, that's what we're getting right now. We're getting stifling of First Amendment freedoms. We're getting a destruction of the cultural underpinnings for free speech and free inquiry. And nobody is willing to, to recognize the threat that this is that this poses, or I shouldn't say nobody's willing to recognize it, but you know, again, you know, I, I'm very critical of the libertarian movement, and the libertarian movement is still on the bandwagon of private companies get to do what they want, private companies get to do anything that they with their property they want, and you know, within a broader context, that's true or should be true, but we need to look at what's going on right now, and we're going to wind up in a dictatorship. You know, Steve, you predicted a 1984 situation. And we need to resist that. And part of, you know, a big part of resisting that is identifying these, these private actors as really just agents of fascism. So that's, that's my rant. I, I do want to make uh, 
one other comment, um, which is not show related, but uh, one of our listeners is a relation of mine. Uh, her name is Alice Bridges Wren and her husband, Tommy Wren passed away this week. And I just wanted to uh, acknowledge that. And, you know, Tommy was a, a Vietnam veteran and a, and a patriot and she's a patriot and a, and a fan of our show. And I just wanted to say something about it to her and reach out to her and let her know that I, she's in my thoughts and he's in my thoughts. And, uh, you know, I'll just leave it at that. I'll move on to, you know, next person. Okay, please convey our thoughts and prayers and thanks for their service. Mike, you wanna say anything? No, I'm, I'm not sure I have much to add. So I'll uh, yield my time to Jody. I, I just, my condolences about Tommy um, and spot on everything else you said, Ed, here, here. You know, I was listening to a, one of the podcasts this morning and they were interviewing this lady from West Virginia. I couldn't tell what race she was because she had a very thick accent, but she was talking at one point about she was thrown off Facebook for three days and she's not sure why she's not thrown off for 30 days. And the guy said to her, well, are you gonna, why don't you move to the other platforms? And she basically said, hell no. She goes, I'm not gonna give in. I'm not gonna preach to the choir. I'm gonna stay and fight. And I know that's something a lot of people on this side struggle with when Facebook throws us off and we wanna support the other ones for many good reasons. But on the other hand, we're are we disengaging from the battle? And it's a, I, I don't really know the answer to it. I well, I would love to discuss that on. next week. Sorry, what say Jody. I would love to discuss that next week. Okay, we were... I can say that's that's the main reason why I've stayed on Facebook, uh, and I haven't been very active on some of the alternative platforms. Uh, I have accounts on some of them. Uh, I'm not as active on Facebook as I once was, but I have the same mentality that the the battle is is on these platforms. To to disengage means to disengage from the battle entirely. I don't want to preach to the choir. Listen, there, there are pros and cons for, for staying on and going off. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of pull to stay on them because there's a lot of friends and family and you know, a lot of content on there that is still valuable. Um, you know, and just real quick, I don't want to take too much time, but I'm, a, I'm on MeWe. I've tried Gab. I think Parlor stinks. I've tried some of these other platforms and the engagement with other people just is, isn't there. No. It's not that's, it's really that's bad. The problem. Well, I think we could build that up, but I think the idea of not staying and fighting, you know, going back to rules for radicals. Just one really, last word on that before you. Sure. Of course, the Trump announced that he was uh, going to be working on his own social media platform soon. So there's that. As is Michael Lindell, supposedly, um, <laughs> coming out with something. But, you know, in rules for radicals, they reportedly talk about ridicule. And it really is amazing that ideas today, which we can't even discuss without worrying about our futures, would have been subject to unbelievable ridicule a decade ago. When Rush, after the gay marriage ruling came out and he came out the next day and said, the next fight is gonna be transgender. And people said, what are you nuts? Never gonna happen. When they, when they said the next fight's gonna be for polyamory, people said, oh, that's ridiculous. It's never gonna happen. So it literally went from ideas that we would have ridiculed, totally laughed off the face of the earth a couple of decades ago or even less, where 
totally cowed. The window has moved so far. And why don't we ridicule some of these people back? Why are we not ridiculing people who suggest men should play women's sports? We're the ones afraid and they're not, they're so emboldened. They know we won't even dare fight back. How did that happen so quickly? I think it's not something that happened quickly. I think the Republican party has not fought back in generations. But again, these ideas would have been ridiculed very, very short time ago. I look, there's a, probably a lot of reasons for it. This is a discussion that maybe we could pick up the next time. Yeah. Right. I'm just, like I'm just saying it's all part of how we don't fight back. Maybe we need rules for radicals for us. If anybody wants to write one. I'll just tease with this and we can go, go into it more next week. I, I think that the way the gay marriage battle was fought is, is, is related to that. And I think that um, our side took a somewhat unreasonable position. Uh, it was in many respects right, but in some respects wrong. And we didn't, we didn't recognize the real issue that, that underlied some of the gay marriage claims uh, until it was too late, until we had lost the battle. And at that point, civil unions were no longer a possibility. Uh, they, they insisted on gay marriage and what they wound up doing was using, you know, redefining the language in the culture. And um, we, didn't, we didn't fight that battle the right way. And, and now all the momentum is on the other side. That's, that's what I think has happened. Yeah, and we've been cowed. All right, with that, we'll close off for today. As I said, we'll be up as a podcast very shortly on iTunes, Rumble, SoundCloud, and who knows where else. And thank you for joining us. We'll see you back next week, Wednesday afternoon at four o'clock. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone.